everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to Talking Reef Podcast, episode 14. Uh, this week I'm going to bring a, uh, a special guest. Uh, his name is Matt, and he's going to be doing some co-hosting with me. And uh, this is a show that I mentioned on episode 13 that kind of got canceled because Matt had better things to do. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> so go ahead and say hi, Matt. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself real quickly. Yeah, go for it. Um, uh, my name's Matt. I live in London. I've been uh, keeping fish on and off for about 10 years. I have two marine fish tanks. And well, one of them is quite very small, and the other one is four foot. Don't you have a a, a, a real small nano tank? Don't you? I do. Yep. It. Um, I, I I managed to put it in the kitchen under the the premise that I was giving it for my daughter, and somehow got away with it past the missus. <laughs> well, great. So, um, didn't you also have a, a quite a large tank? I think a six foot tank you had mentioned. Yeah, I had a, a, a six-foot tank. Uh, I live in um, the, the UK's got quite a few sort of townhouses which are more than two stories high, and mm-hmm. uh, I had a six-foot tank in the uh, middle level of my house. And due to me selling the property, I've I've had to sort of downsize a bit and move oh. it downstairs. It's <laughs> what a bummer! It's not an easy thing to move. Yeah, my uh, my hundred-gallon tank is is a four-foot tank, so it's probably close to the one you got. I think yours is a little bit uh, smaller. All around, but yeah, I, I couldn't imagine going to anything smaller. I love my tank. <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah, my tank's just the right size. The little one, it, I got to admit, is personally my favorite at the moment. It's only a one foot cube, but it's it's un, seems to be unbreakable. Oh well, it, that's great, <laughs> and that's usually uh, uncommon for uh, those small nano tanks. Usually, they they tend to be a little bit difficult to take care of. So uh, yeah, I've I've made it extremely basic, and uh, it's. It works extremely well. Great, great. So uh, what we're going to do on this show is I've got a series of questions and answers, or not answers, but the questions that have come in uh, over last week, and I got four of them, and we're going to kind of go back and forth, and one of us is going to read off the question, and then we will both kind of hold a, a somewhat open discussion about the answer from our different points of view. So... We're going to go ahead and start with the first question. This one came in from email. Uh, actually, the first two came in from email. They're two separate questions, so we're going to break them a little bit different. Uh, you want to read the first one, or you want me to read it? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the first question is basically a glass versus acrylic question. Uh, this one comes in from Dave from Salt Lake City, and he, the first question reads, I heard pros and cons of each. Uh, what do you recommend, and does the size matter in making this decision? So... Uh, you want to sh- grow out this one first, or you want me to shoot? Yeah, I'll, I'll go give you a bit of a UK perspective on this. Okay. Um, for UK purposes, you don't see much um, larger acrylic tanks. A lot of the very small tanks are uh, all acrylic, but when they sort of get um, bigger, generally probably 95% of them are all glass. Um, so... It, I know that in the U.S. you do get a lot more acrylic tanks you do over here. Yeah, actually, it's the exact opposite in the U.S. The acrylic tanks are usually used when people are looking for very large tanks, and the glass tanks are used when people are looking at the small tanks. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a minute and kind of go through 
a little bit of the differences. Uh, glass tanks uh, are usually a lot more durable. They're going to take a little bit more abuse without showing the signs of the abuse. Uh, they don't scratch as easily. And they are generally a lot less expensive when you're dealing with the smaller sizes. When you get into the acrylic tanks, acrylic is the acrylic tanks are fairly expensive to put together. So if you were to compare a 30-gallon a glass tank and a 30-gallon acrylic tank, the 30-gallon acrylic tank is going to be a lot more expensive. Uh, glass is also a lot heavier than acrylic. So basically what happens is when you get up to a tank around 150, 200, 300, 400 gallons, you're going to find that those tanks are almost always going to be acrylic. The main reason is the acrylic's a lot stronger. The acrylic is going to cost less at those, at those sizes because it would be extremely expensive to build a tank that size out of glass. Um, some of the other things, are the, the acrylic tanks have a tendency to scratch a lot easier than the glass tanks, but on the other side, you can remove scratches from the acrylic tank. If you were to take it down, you can actually buff out a lot of those scratches. So there are some pros and cons each way, depending on how you look at it. Uh, there's good and bads either way. So for the most part, if you're going to be looking for a small aquarium, I would say 100 gallons or less, uh, you're probably going to have a safe bet with glass. It's going to be strong enough, and it's going to be low cost enough that it'll be okay. And if you want to go with something larger, say a 150 or 200 or 300 gallon tank, then you're going to be looking at acrylic because it's going to be more cost effective. So that's my two cents on it. <laughs> the one little, little comment that um, I will give on acrylic versus glass is that normally on, on acrylic tanks you have a, a curved corner. You don't actually have a, a where it meets together. Absolutely. So, so if, if you've dosed the tank with anything for some some sort of disease or fungus, uh, on a glass tank you sometimes can have the like the beading go the blue or the green. Yep, the silicone. The, the silicone seals. Where you don't get that on acrylic. Yeah, the other thing regarding the curves on the acrylic tanks, a lot of the acrylic tanks are what uh, we refer to them as, as seamless. Uh, they don't have those seams like the glass tanks do. And like Matt mentioned, that silicone in there has a tendency to absorb a lot of different things. Uh, this is especially important if you have a glass tank that was used previously with fresh water and you had done some, some kind of ick treatment and treated it with copper. The silicone is, is known to absorb that copper in there, and it can wreak havoc if you then turn that into a uh, marine tank. So, yeah. Uh, oh, one of the other things I just thought of was uh, a lot of people say that looking through the acrylic tanks, it gives you a much nicer overall look, and it seems to look better than if you're looking through the glass. If you had any experience with that? No, not really. Like, like I said, most of the, the UK tanks are all glass and even when you start going to two three four hundred gallon tanks the really big ones are still mainly glass oh, okay great okay well i think we're probably covered you know we think we beat that one to death is there anything else about glass versus acrylic i, I don't think so bar the whole concept of if you actually got to try and get it into your property um, <laughs> yeah so, but the uh, acrylic is much easier Yes, acrylic is, is much lighter than glass. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal there. Okay, so let's move on to question two. Uh, since I read the last one, Matt, go ahead and read this one. Yeah, no problem. This is from Dave again from Salt Lake City. 
Are there any limits to the amount of corals and invertebrates you can put in your tank, like there is with fish? So what do you think of that then, Rob? Okay, well, um, most of us are familiar with the, the common constraints. You really can't overpopulate your tank with fish because that's going to make for a pretty nasty tank. Now, as far as the coral and the invertebrates are concerned, um, there's a lot of things that you need to keep in mind when packing your tank with coral. Technically, you can probably pack a lot of different types of coral in there, but when you're putting the coral next to each other, a lot of things that you have to keep in mind is um, what type of coral it is and how much room it really needs. Uh, this becomes a lot more important when you're dealing with the soft coral and the LPS style coral than it is with the SPS. You can A lot of times you can pack the SPS, the real hard coral, fairly close to each other without too much issue but the LPS coral and the soft coral can have a tendency to sting each other. A lot of them have, uh, what are those things? They, uh, polyps? Yeah, the polyps. Oh, I'm drawing a blank here. The polyps in the, the sweeper arms, sweeper tentacles, it was a term I was looking for, that can move back and forth, and some of them actually punch a pretty nasty uh, a nasty bite to them. And if those come in contact or constant contact with the with other corals it can actually cause some some damage to them some of the other things that you need to keep in mind is is doing a little bit of homework on each of the coral that you're that you're trying to keep in understanding how much space it needs corals can actually start having certain types of chemical wars with each other uh, releasing different types of chemicals into the water and in some cases that can cause uh, some problems with with nearby coral uh, like I said, usually a lot of this stuff happens with the LPS and the and the soft corals because they are able to move around a lot more. Uh, some some things that may be notable problems uh, with LPS or I'm sorry with the soft corals, things like green star polyps, uh, those little mats with the little green polyps on them, uh, zoo polyps and zania are all known for um, actually progressively growing throughout the tank, and if you have something placed next to a mat of green star polyps you actually run a risk of it actually growing right over top of it i actually had a a rock that had some zoo polyps on it and it actually grew right over top and killed one of my torch corals so that was definitely not a good thing so but as far as overall can you know should you have one coral per gallon or anything like that as far as i know there's no constraints there uh it's really just looking at the type of coral and and just doing good husbandry practices with uh understanding what you have uh oh. any other comments there uh i didn't really touch on invertebrates you want to anything you want to say about the coral or the invertebrates uh, I, th I think I think I agree with you on most of your comments there. The the only things um, I would say about it is if, if you are going to stack your tank full of corals, that you you try and make sure they're from similar regions within the, the sea, the depths of the water. Although you have serious lighting issues. Yes, good point. Um, if corals are uh, there's regions, and I've also heard, although I haven't personally experienced it, that. Um, there's some people that like to, I don't know if there's a technical issue, but I know there's some people that like to keep coral from specific regions, uh, geographical regions. I want to stay with coral from the Pacific reef areas versus coral from Atlantic reef areas. Um, but yeah, as for what you're mentioning about uh, from the different depths, if you have a coral that's used to sitting at the crest of a reef, 
that's going to be used to a lot stronger light than a coral that would be used to sitting a lot farther down in the reef getting some lower light. So that's important where on coral placement and stuff like that. Yeah, and also that goes with that is seeing different flow rates. Obviously, certain corals are used to different flows if they are on the crest of the reef. They're probably used to pretty strong current yep. to go with the strong light. <clears throat> uh, I think from one thing that I learned is a pretty simple rule of thumb with things like quite a lot of the, the, the corals definitely is if if they have a very wide top, then they normally mean that they come from quite low down and they're trying to gather a lot of light. Uh, yeah, wide top, yep. Uh, definitely. Um, you know what? And I know that this is kind of a little bit off the subject, but uh, um, I have a a Montipora, uh, Montipora digita coral that I've got sitting up at the top of my tank. And I found that for, for the longest time, I had a power head pointed almost directly at it, at it. And it has grown very flat. Uh, instead of having very separated fingers, it's actually flattened out and they've actually grown like almost like walls. They've kind of they've kind of started to blend together. It was kind of interesting uh, just to merge that in with the, fl the flow regard. Uh, a lot of corals will grow different with, with different types of flow pointed at them. Yeah, so, yeah definitely. All right, well, um, you know, we didn't really bring up the invertebrates in here a whole lot. Um, you have any comments regarding uh, packing your tank full of invertebrates? Um, not particularly, do you? Uh, well, the only thing that I've got to mention with the invertebrates, uh, and in referring to invertebrates, uh, what I'm going to specifically refer to is uh, snails, crabs, uh, hermit crabs, um, the different types of crabs, um, shrimp, the cleaner shrimp, peppermint shrimp, all the different types of things. Most of these uh, invertebrates are used as part of your cleanup crew. So when you're dealing with fish, you're going to put X amount of fish in there, and you're going to keep that controlled because you need to control the amount of waste that they're going to produce. A lot of fish is going to produce a lot of waste, and that's going to cause some problems in your tank. Uh, with the, the invertebrates, a lot of this, especially the crabs and the, and the snails and stuff like that, most of these guys are actually going around and cleaning up all that mess. So uh, as far as crabs and snails, about one or two, I, I think it was one per one to two gallons, is the normal recommended amount, or you know what people say is, is okay to do? Um, but personally, I don't know that it's that it's that big of a deal if you to, if you were to go past that, uh, because most of it is a part of the cleanup crew. Uh, when dealing with shrimp, you know, I, I don't know if there's a specific rule of thumb. Uh, I would say if you've got a large tank and you want to throw two or three, maybe four shrimp in there, I don't know that there's any specific issues with that. No, I, I totally agree. I don't. I don't think you need vast quantities of things like cleaner shrimp. I agree. Because, one or two is uh, usually good enough. No, definitely. I think one or two will do a, quite a, a very large tank. Yeah, I love them cleaner shrimp. They're uh, a, a trip to watch. They do some pretty interesting stuff. <laughs> oh, they're hilarious. Have you Absolutely ever had hilarious. them? Have you ever got any of yours to come up and like clean at your hands or pick at your fingers? Um, yeah, definitely. The the small tank I actually have. Every time I have to do anything in it, it it wants to come for a ride. Oh, that's great! I've got one in my large tank, and he's still he or she or it is still scared of me whenever I put my hand in there, um, unless I've got food. They for some reason they can sense that food right away. But if I've got food, like, you know, if I'm going in and spot feeding a couple of my coral, some of them I'll, I just do by hand. 
but if I've got food, they definitely he'll come up to me and and pick at my fingers. But if there's no food, then he just hides. So, so you you haven't given it a name? Uh, no. You know, I don't really, I don't really name my fish. Uh, my daughter likes to name the fish, but I haven't really named any of the other stuff. I guess uh, I know a lot of people do. It's it's kind of a you know, a, a thing that some people have and some people don't. So, no, I'm I'm maybe, not a big na- I'm not a big name fish uh, fish namer. Name fish. Maybe <laughs> we should do a poll poll on the on the website. We what can do that. You call him? What do you uh, think? Yeah, uh, I can. I you, we could do that. You know what? When this poll, we've got a current poll up right now regarding um, a photo of the month contest, which uh, maybe we'll talk about that later at the end of the show, but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll put a sh- we'll put a, we'll put a poll up there and says what should I name my shrimp? <laughs> there you go. So, okay. Um, I think at this point we're going to move on to question three. Right. Well, Rob, uh, I think you can read the next question. Oh yay! Uh, it figures I get to read the long one. Okay, so this one came in um, on the TalkingReef.com forums, and this question came in from John. John writes in and says, I have a few questions about power requirements and safety. I've read horror stories on the forums about basements, garages, and even main parts of the house getting burned down due to faulty or overloaded power strips and timers. Most houses, I believe, are wired for 10-amp loads, I have seven attachments on my power strip, and two of those attachments are uh, two of those are attached to timers. Do you think it would be safe to divide the load into two different power strips? Uh, basically, what I wanna I wanna kind of jump in and say real quick is I am the last person that anybody should probably ask about electrical equipment. Uh, I know that I do have um, the one outlet that sits behind my tank. And I have two power strips going into that one outlet. Uh, I believe that that outlet is actually wired to a 20 amp fuse in my fuse box. Um, And I have had zero problems with it. I've never blown the breaker or anything like that. So that's probably all I can say. So Matt, I'm going to go ahead and turn this one over to you. And I don't know if you'll be able to give a, a U.S. perspective, but I'm sure you'll be able to give a U.K. perspective on this. Yeah, okay, no problem. Um, with uh, the UK, all plugs are sort of 13 amp rated. Um, the, the one thing I, 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 th- I think the easiest way to get around most of this is if the the source that you're plugging into has got some sort of um, trip breaker on it. Oh, yes, and, yes. Actually, in to, the... To trip out? Yes, in the US, um, we have what's... I th- they're called, uh, I think, GFI plugs. Ground, ground fault interrupt plugs and I don't know if these would trip under a load you know if you put the load up too high but I know that these are commonly used in you know bathroom areas and I know in my area I don't know if it's a city state or federal regulation but any any outlet that is located within X amount of feet from a sink or a shower uh, is required by law that the the outlet is a GFI outlet and I know that these do protect from, you know, if you were to get water splashed in or whatever, or if you were to be blow drying your hair in the shower, I guess, for the stupid people that like to do that. And it would it would stop that, that short without blowing everything out. So maybe that's, you know, is that the thing that you're referring to as far as a breaker or whatever in the plug? Yeah, it's, it's um, what sometimes you find, like, me, me personally, I've, I've changed over a piece of equipment and I have a earth probe going into my tank. Mm-hmm. 
okay, a yeah. titanium, a titanium earth probe. Yeah, what and I think over here what we call them is uh, ground probes or gr yeah, grounding probes. Yeah, same thing. Yep. And um, th this, I was changing a piece of equipment over, and the second, more or less, I changed it, it was tripping out, and it was basically cutting the whole electric in the house. Oh, really? And because it was such a, a microcurrent must have been passing out through the equipment and then going up that and then tripping the trip out at the mains board, which I think you, if, you, if you're going to be playing with water and electric, I think it has to be have some sort of microcurrent trip switch that is yes. regulating it. Yep, that's so a great I think, point. I think you just, um, you can get away with especially with fish tanks where most of the equipment is of um, low wattage mm -hmm. you can get away with qu running quite a lot through um, two power strips yeah. it's only if you start running things like um, large metal halides yep. powered off them which draw a lot of power yeah. continuously um, I, on my six foot tank I had a triple 250 mm -hmm. and it was pulling um, over 1000 watts yeah, I did notice that when I put up, when I set up my metal halide, or my, basically my new hood, uh, I noticed a lot of, uh, a slight increase in my power bill, shall you say. Uh, I had, I've got currently two 250-watt uh, metal halides using uh, magnetic ballast, and then I've got dual 110-watt uh, actinic VHO bulbs, and I, I've definitely noticed an increase there. Yeah, I've um, when I changed from a six-foot tank to a four-foot tank, I actually went to we have in the UK, which is um, T5 lighting. Yep, we have the T5 um, lighting here too. And uh, that's made a massive difference on the electricity bill, yes. to say the least. Yes. And also, my house actually feels cool for once. <laughs> uh, it was like having a 1,000-watt heater sat on my lounge permanently. <laughs> okay, well, I think we've strayed off topic enough here. Uh, we're starting to get into different types of lighting and all that and before I get on a, a rant about different types of lighting I think we'll we'll go ahead and pull all this back in and get back into uh, regarding the question I I John uh, I, I I apologize I'm not the best person to ask about electricity uh, I hope that the the little information that you got out of me and the information that uh, you got out of Matt helps you here uh, but uh, that's probably about all we're gonna be able to provide there so uh, just one thing on that, I think you can, if you haven't got a proper trip switch on your mains board of your electric, you can actually buy a plug-in one so you can plug everything through it. Yeah, yeah. Which probably is the way around it. Yep. Espe yeah, especially when you buy water, it's probably a good idea anyways. <laughs> Definitely. So. Well, Rob, as you read that last question so well, and you've got that lovely crisp American accent, I'll I quit think patronizing you need to read me. that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've got to pick on you a bit, haven't I? I yeah. think you can read the last question. Oh, you're going to make me read the last question too. Okay, that's fine. Why not? <laughs> All right, so you get the two short questions and I get the two long questions. Okay, anyway, so here is question number four. This one also came in from the TalkingReef.com forum. And this one was from Craig. Uh, didn't give a location. So he writes in to say, uh, what is the best way to move a tank long distances? I'm moving from Portland, Oregon to San Francisco, which is California, and I'm wondering if I should just start over or if it would be safe to move everything in bags and ice chests. I have a pair of clowns, cleaner shrimp, and a bunch of zoos, uh, zoo polyps. It's about a 12-hour drive, not including the breakdown of the tank. Thanks in advance, Craig. Uh, well, real quickly, um, I'm going to throw a couple comments in here. 12-hour uh, drive, 
a pair of clowns, cleaner shrimp, some zoos. Not anything that I would consider uh, very sensitive or that you'd run into any danger with any kind of trauma from the shipping. Um, real quickly, my, my best recommendation would be, uh, first of all, when you break down the tank, uh, get, you know, take out as much water as you can to start off with. You want to store that water in some kind of containers. Optimally, you want to use all of the same water when you're setting up the new tank. Uh, this will prevent your tank from do, going through any kind of recycle process. Uh, the other thing is you want to try to keep your live rock in some water. Uh, live rock can actually sit dry, uh, but to keep it in perfect health of where it's at right now, it's probably best to keep it in at least some amount of water. Uh, as far as the clowns, the cleaner shrimp and stuff like that, the best thing to do there is to, uh, as you mentioned, to get some uh, bags or ice chests or something like that, something that you can put them in, uh, maybe like a, a cooler, and what you can do is just put the fish and the you can put the zoo polyps, the fish, the shrimp, everything into this one cooler. And my recommendation would be to uh, check out a local hardware store and look for something called a power inverter. If you you can actually use a power inverter, you can plug this thing into your cigarette lighter, and what it'll do is it'll allow you to plug in standard electrical outlets into this. And what it'll do is it'll give you the ability to plug in a small heater and a small power head into, you know, and put them inside the cooler to make sure that you keep the water warm and that you keep a little bit of current in there, which is going to be important for uh, the coral and stuff like that. And that should be enough to get you through, uh, excuse me, uh, to get you through the 12-hour drive. Um, anything you want to add to that? No, I think the 12-hour drive is fine. The one thing to, to bear in mind definitely with the, the UK market is that most um, corals and fish are, are probably brought in from way further than a 12-hour drive. Yes. They're probably shipped in much worse conditions than, or smaller conditions than what you're going to be taking them in, uh, Craig. So uh, a 12-hour drive should be a breeze. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't see any big huge issue with this. Um, like I said, you want to save. Um, Optimally, you want to save all of the water. You want to keep all of the live sand. You want to keep all of the live rock, and you want to keep all of that, you know, moist and wet, or you know, either way. Uh, that way, when you go back to set it back up, uh, you should have as few problems as possible. Um, <clears throat> that's uh, that's probably and my recommendations. Only, I'm sorry. Go the ahead. only other thing, that, um, one thing to bear in mind is that obviously, when you have to set up at the other end, that uh, to try and introduce the, the fish and the corals slowly because chances are the water temperatures are going to be completely different. Yeah, yeah. You're going to want to keep them, you know, keep the, the the ice chest, keep that stuff plugged in, keep that warm. You're going to want to make sure you bring up the tank up to, um, it's a good idea to bring it up to the same temperature before you introduce them. You can, uh, you, you're also going to want to leave the tank set up for a little while because you have to let a lot of the sand settle out. I mean, seriously, if you're going to be taking all the sand and pouring it back into this tank and then putting the water back in there, you're going to have, it's the water's going to be cloudy for a day. So your your stuff should be okay in this, uh, in, the, in the cooler or something like that. Uh, if you're, you know, with the zoo polyps and stuff, you really aren't going to have to worry a whole lot about light. I would say one day 
maybe two with some you know low amounts of light isn't going to hurt them. Uh, zoo polyps are low light coral. They should be fine. If you're at all concerned about it, uh, by all means, take a, a small lamp or a power compact hood or something. You can set it over top of the cooler. But I think all in all, is, this should be a fairly easy move for you. Uh, I thoroughly agree. Shouldn't be a major problem. Yes. So, okay. Well, I think that's. Uh, I think that wraps up question four. Um, at this point, uh, I think we, we've finished all four of the questions. If anybody has any further information that they're looking for, or if, if anybody has any other questions, um, feel free to send them in. You can send them in to podcast at talkingreef.com. Or by all means, check out the forums. Feel free to post your questions there. It's actually been kind of cool. This question did come in on the forums, and me and a couple of the other people that uh, browse through the forums actually got a lot of uh, a lot of this answered in the forums. So it's nice to see other people jumping in into these forums to help out answering the questions and stuff like that. Uh, I thought it was a good topic, so I still did want to bring it up on the show. Uh, but uh, by all means, if you want to take them to the forums for a, a much quicker answer, then uh, go for it. Uh, Matt, have you? Uh, I know that you're now on the show as a, as a co-host, but have you spent much time in the forums? Um. Admittedly, no. I oh, shame on you. Oh, it's terrible behavior, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is uh, unacceptable. Um, being, uh, I, I actually work in uh, central London, and I spend most of my time probably on emails, and when I am on the internet, it's normally at work, I've got to admit. Uh-huh, I see. Well, alternatively, I'm sat here talking to you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We've We've had a lot of conversations prepping for the show. It's been... I don't know, probably about at least two weeks in the making that we've been trying to get set up. See, the problem is is I'm in, um, I'm in the Michigan area, which is the, I don't know if it's the Mideast or whatever of the United States, and, and Matt's in London. So while we're separated by, uh, what is it, a five-hour difference, it's uh, about 9 o'clock here, which puts you at, I don't know, what is it, 2, 3? It's uh, five minutes to 2. Oh, geez. So... Um, I want to make sure that uh, I give special thanks to Matt for staying up with me and uh, and doing the show. I've had a lot of fun doing the show, and I I hope everybody enjoys it a lot more than the other shows. Uh, my plan is at this point, um, I'm probably going to still continue to do some shows by myself just to make sure that everything gets out on time, but I'm going to do as many shows as possible uh, with somebody else. And at this point... Um, Matt, as far as as far as I know, you're you're going to be there to join me on as many shows as you can. That's the plan. Great. Um, just a little bit of news. I'm actually working um, with a couple, uh, with some other people to try to get some some guests on the show. Uh, there's some technical details that I, I need to work out, but what I'd like to be able to do is have uh, you, Matt, on the phone uh, along with these other people that I'm trying to trying to get on. So maybe we could have you know a, a three-person conference call. I think I think it'll be I think it'll be really really exciting. Um, I can't at this point uh, say exactly who those people are because nothing's been finalized yet. But I do have some things working. Problem. Well, I must say thanks, Rob, for letting me come on to the uh, podcast with you. It's, it's been good fun. Yeah, that's right. You and, better uh, thank me. <laughs> no, it's, I, I've enjoyed it. I've had a lot of fun doing it. Good, and I, and I hope um, we get some really good names in for your cleaner shrimp because he's obviously got a bit of a personality complex. Yes, I almost. He hasn't, he hasn't got a name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I almost forgot about that. You know what? When we're done with this, you're going to have to remind me to get that poll up there, and uh, we'll get it on the homepage soon. Uh, I want to let this this photo of the month contest thing uh, 
run for a little bit yet. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's we can talk about that real quick. Uh, the photo of the month contest. And Matt, feel free to jump in with any ideas here. This is this is kind of something that uh, last week or, or earlier this week I came up with and thought about doing a photo of the month contest. Most forums and uh, news groups and stuff or email groups have they usually run some kind of photo of the month contest and so i figured hey why the heck not let's do the same thing and in the beginning what we'll probably do is we'll we'll start the contest we'll have some way for people to submit their photos i'm thinking depending on the amount of submissions we get in if it's real low then we may or may not have a specific theme or topic to the pictures but if we start getting a lot of people submitting stuff then we should be able to break them out into different you know specific themes and different specific types of pictures and when it comes around to picking a winner we'll probably have everybody all the listeners have the opportunity to vote on which one that they like and what I'd like to try to do uh, in the future is is hopefully be able to, to get some prizes out for people. So yeah, sounds like a good, great idea. Can um, obviously I'm a bit new to the the photo of the month concept. Um, can people send in? Uh, I know personally myself, I, I I quite like scuba diving, and I've I've got a few photos of fish I've taken pictures of when I've been down diving. Just do, do you think that would be in part of? pictures of the month interesting um i haven't really thought about that normally um the normal rules are is it has to be your own picture uh depending on some place basically i want to try to avoid people grabbing somebody else's picture um i don't know i i i I don't see a reason why not i would probably want to keep it keep something like that as a maybe a, a special contest or maybe one of the themed contests uh, for the most part, what I'd like to try to do is get pictures of other people's tanks and pictures that they have done on their own. Uh, you know, one of the groups that I'm in, actually, their rule is as long as it's your picture and it's of a fish tank, it's okay. So we have people that actually will go to a local fish store and take pictures of some of their stuff, and it's kind of kind of amusing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's something we can definitely work the details out. Like I said, it's still... A very early concept right now, so um, there's a lot of a lot of room to adjust this. And uh, as the listeners out there, if you have any ideas or any ways that you would like to see this this go, I mean, my listeners are the ones that are actually supporting the show and making it possible. So I, I'm and now we are here to, uh, you know, set this up and get it going. However, you guys want to see it. So, you know, by all means, send in the feedback. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I agree with that. Even if it's the case of the cheesiest fish tank picture, yeah, <laughs> might be interesting. Yes. So, well, um, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap the show up, or are you pretty much set? Uh, I'm pretty much set. I'm actually can currently actually hear the uh, my bed calling me as it's uh, quite late now. <laughs> yes, I would but, imagine uh, so. And I think we're. This show's getting a little bit longer than the normal show. Um, so at this point, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed this show. And if you did, please send in your feedback. If you didn't, please let me know too, and we'll try to adjust to um, a way that's preferred. And uh, that's going to about do it this, this episode. So please send in all your questions and comments to podcast at talkingreef.com. And make sure that you check out the website, www.talkingreef.com, and visit the forums. Thank you. Have a good night.